This episode includes partial references to gun-related suicide and mental health. If these topics are sensitive subjects for you, please be cautious. Listener discretion is advised. I am proud to be a woman. Girls and women are powerful. Beauty. Badass. Feminine. Passion. Equality. Power. Professional. Diligence. Advocates for change. Welcome to She Plus, the female empowerment podcast that tells the extraordinary stories of everyday humans. I'm your host, Elise Dean. On today's episode, we sat down with Reverend Hillary Taylor, a Methodist pastor in Saluda, South Carolina. When I spoke with Hillary, I was surprised to learn that our early childhood experiences with religion were very similar. As children, both Hillary and I were baptized Episcopalian, but church involvement was minimal. Maybe occasionally volunteering as an acolyte or attending the Christmas Eve service, but outside of those milestone moments, attendance was marginal. I was not super religious growing up as a as a young kid. My parents had me baptized, and then um, sort of the thing that happens with a lot of people is, uh, you know, you don't you're not really very involved. Uh, in the life of the church and tying your kid's life to the church and until sort of big community, you know, monuments like baptism, like confirmation happen. So my church attendance was marginal as a kid. And um, part of that actually was because my parents got a divorce when I was about seven. And uh, I basically lived with my mom for a period of five years and would visit my dad every other weekend. When my when I lived with my mom uh, uh, over those five years, she uh, lost her job. She also kind of lost uh, access to a supportive, healthy community as well. And so she began struggling with her own self-care uh, and also the care of uh, my two younger sisters and I. As time progressed, Hillary's mother continued to struggle. Her father received full custody of Hillary and her siblings as a result. But that was a big change for Hillary. My parents, uh, my dad and Ruthie have been married for 20 years now, and she's been an incredible mother figure to me in many different ways. She, when she began dating my dad, had kind of had her own recommitment to her faith as a United Methodist Christian. And she told my dad when they were dating that, hey, if you're serious about being in a relationship with me, then you're going to go to church with me and you're going to bring your daughters with you whenever they spend a weekend with you or any time with you. And so that's what happened. My dad joined the church. My sisters and I became confirmed in the church. And after several years, my dad and Ruthie um, uh, got custody of my sisters and I because my mom was no longer able to care for us full time. And that was a really difficult move for me, even though I was only living 20 minutes down the road from my dad. Um, it, it was traumatic in a lot of ways. It involved me transferring to a new school. So I had a big change in my own you know, community life. I lost a lot of friends. The school didn't have an orchestra. And that was something that really gave me life and kind of helped me cope with some of the dynamics in my family. And this move is kind of what also uh, really intensified some depression that I think I was already feeling. 
And it took many years for me to even begin addressing and acknowledging that I had a problem with depression. In these moments of depression, the Methodist Church became a solace, a home, a place for Hillary to rebuild. And all throughout this process of change and processing, you know, this move, the United Methodist Church that my stepmom had connected my dad and my sisters and I to, it became this supportive space for us that allowed us what it meant to to be, figure out what it meant to be a family, if you will, a blended family that was, you know, sort of full-time living together. And this church didn't pry into our pain. They simply said, we love you and God loves you. And we will be here to say this to you until you can turn, internalize it for yourself. But through all of that, the church was the space of unconditional love for me and my family. And the best part about the church for me is that it not only connected me to a youth group that, of, of folks who, who loved me and who were able to help me, you know, think about spiritual growth and, and you know, a character growth and moral growth, but also it provided me a space to do mission projects. Now, mission projects, you know, uh, can, can be harmful, um, but they are also extremely helpful, um, not only from a direct service point of view, but also... For me, mission projects, in particular, construction-based mission projects, I would do about two every summer, one through my home church through an organization called Rural Mission Incorporated, and another through a, a group called Sakahachi Summer Service. Both of these provided a space for me to kind of rebuild my own sense of self it, as I was helping people rebuild their homes that had been wrecked by storms or hurricanes. After high school, Hillary headed to Furman University, where she was able to explore her faith even deeper. Through multiple faith clubs and groups, she challenged herself to think about her faith and Christianity. When I went to Furman University for college, there are lots of students there at the college who are also Christian identifying and attend many different Christian affiliated campus ministries. When I was at Furman, I was a member of many different faith-based groups, including the Furman Wesley Fellowship, which is the United Methodist Campus Ministry Group on Furman's campus. One thing I'm really proud of is I helped to start a, an interfaith service group, which is now affiliated with the Interfaith Youth Corps. And it was a space where at the time, it was mostly Protestant Christians, um, but we also had some Catholic Christians, and we did have a few uh, Muslim members of the group as well, um, Sunni Muslims. And it was really nice to talk about the things that we had in common, values of compassion and service, for example, and also discuss some of the real differences that we had in our traditions. And it made me a, a more, uh, it made me think harder about Christianity, why I practice it, why I believe it. She went on to spend time in South Africa as a ministry coordinator and worked with young adult leadership for the anti-apartheid resistance. She even met Desmond Tutu, a well-known human rights activist in South Africa, who was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984 for his work in ending apartheid. Now, it's safe to say Hillary has worked extensively on developing her own relationship with faith. But... She's also working to bridge the gap between faith-based work and gun violence in the United States. 
And it all started when she began reading about the horrific mass shootings happening across the country. Several months ago, I was researching online and I was just kind of in a space thinking about violence. I've been thinking a lot about violence um, for, for several years. I mentioned that I've uh, done some work in prison ministry. I've done some work with, uh, I, I'd had an internship one summer with the Saluda County Solicitor's Office. So I did some paper filing work for prosecutors and got to sit in on some cases that some of them were gun related, some were not. And I was also thinking about just sort of, it's hard to be an American and to not think about mass shootings. Though this episode was originally set to air following the shootings in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas, the topic of gun violence remains relevant even a year later. But Hillary grew even more concerned when she saw the data on gun-related suicide. And what came up on my screen was a book by Shane Claiborne, who's one of my favorite Christian authors, and he does a lot of work uh, to do violence prevention in many different ways. And something that he has done recently is he's gotten together with a blacksmith named Michael Martin. Michael Martin runs a nonprofit called Raw Tools, and what he does is he takes uh, guns and he fashions, refashions and repurposes them into gardening tools. Uh, he's a blacksmith and he kind of picked up this trade because uh, suicide affected his family. And so um, I believe the suicides were not connected to gun-related violence, but I, I do believe that he has been these activists have and, and authors have just been thinking about violence and they got together and they wrote a book and I ordered this book and I was really curious about the work that they do. And something that was really shocking to me in reading this book was suicide. This is not something we talk a lot about in the United States, but suicide is the largest, uh, component of gun-related violence in our country, and specifically in South Carolina. It also made me remember the time when I was in high school, at the peak of my own depression, just before I had gotten help. And I also imagined taking my own life, and I imagined it with the use of a gun. I don't know if I would have followed through on that. What happened is I pretty immediately told a friend of mine and that friend said, Hillary, you need help. You need professional counseling. And thankfully I listened to that friend and I got counseling and that sort of began this road to recovery uh, from my own depression. And I'm grateful to that friend and I'm grateful to my parents and I'm grateful to the people who supported me throughout kind of my own mental health struggle. But I, I don't want people to ever be in that space. I'm really grateful to not be in that space anymore. And I don't think about it because I don't want to think about that space. But uh, reading all of these suicide statistics and reading about the work that Shane Claiborne and Mike Martin are doing really kind of helped me confront some of that, that past that I'm really ashamed of that I really don't want to think about and say, yeah, other people are experiencing this. And, you know, not everybody who has a gun wants a gun. Coming up after the break, 
we'll hear about the outcome of Hillary's gun buyback program and... The guns into gardening tools is a deeply, uh, is an action that is deeply based in scripture. This message is brought to you by She Plus Podcast. At She Plus, lifting up stories and voices is an important part of the work we do, which is why I love shopping for products at Mess in a Bottle, a Black-owned business that aims to give voice to the voiceless. All of Mess in a Bottle's products display important messages that you'll be proud to wear while quarantined in your house. From t-shirts emblazoned with the word fearless, to sweatshirts that say, as strong as the woman next to me, you're bound to find something that speaks to you. Check out my latest post to see what I bought from Mess in a Bottle. Shop now at messinabottle.com. Welcome back. On this episode of She Plus, we're talking about gun buyback programs with Reverend Hillary Taylor. According to Mental Health America, South Carolina ranks 47 in the United States for access to mental health care. And I know, it's easy to paint the southeastern corner of the United States as gun country. And while there is some merit to this generalization, not everyone in South Carolina carries or owns a gun. I know I don't. So I asked Hillary her thoughts on the low access to mental health care coupled with the high rates of gun ownership in South Carolina. It's easy to to paint South Carolina um, as as a certain type of state with certain type of people who believe certain types of things. And whenever people say that, I always want to push back and say, hold on, there's a lot more nuance than, than you think, um, you know, and come to use the language that I, I learned in South, South Africa, you know, come and sit by our fire, uh, you know, come and get to know us and learn, you know, kind of the nuances of our community. Certainly a lot of people do carry guns in this area um, of the country, uh, in the Southeast in general. Uh, but I would say that a lot more people care about firearm safety than is often portrayed in the news. Uh, and I, I think it's unfair for different folks, um, you know, in media to, to paint hunters or gun owners as, you know, a, a certain negative type of image. Uh, most gun owners are folks who care deeply about making sure that guns are not in the hands of people who could harm themselves or harm others. Uh, my dad uh, put the fear of God in me when it came to handling a gun, and he said, you always treat a gun like it is loaded, regardless of whether you know it's loaded or not, because most accidents happen when people just assume guns are unloaded, and lo and behold, they're not unloaded. So that's something I, I want to say up front is that most gun owners are, you know, law-abiding folks who do care about firearm safety and, and violence prevention. Before hearing about Hillary's story, I had never heard of a gun buyback program. But I learned that these programs are events where people can turn over their firearms to law enforcement, and there's typically a no-questions-asked policy in place. When you hand in your firearm, you receive some form of compensation in return, depending on the type of gun. These events happen regularly across the country, with the goal of reducing the number of gun-related deaths and injuries in a community. For Hillary, this was the first program of its kind in rural South Carolina. 
And this was a way that I thought, you know, hmm, let's try this and see what it looks like. To my knowledge, I am the only person who has helped coordinate a gun buyback program in a rural area of South Carolina to date. There have been other gun buyback programs for sure. Uh, this was the first gun buyback program in Saluda County, South Carolina. And it was pretty amazing. In total, we got 20 guns. We had the gun buyback program on September 7th. We held it behind our town hall area, which was sort of a public area with a picnic shed. So it was easy to find if you were in town. And like I said, we got 20 guns. We handed out $2,020 worth of Walmart gift cards. The way that we had this gun buyback program set up is people could turn over a gun and they, you know, were told that this gun is going to be repurposed into gardening tools. And in, a, in exchange for the gun, they would receive Walmart gift cards between, uh, with values between $100 and $200 folks would receive a $100 in Walmart gift cards for a shotgun or a rifle that was turned over. They would receive $150 worth Walmart gift cards if they turned over a handgun. So we were incentivizing handguns because those are the guns that are used most often when people complete suicide with the use of a firearm. And then we had uh, $200 worth of Walmart gift cards if anybody wanted to turn over an assault weapon. So we had six handguns. We, uh, the rest of them were a mix of shotguns and rifles, and it was a pretty moving experience. These events also provide a safe outlet for relinquishing firearms, and it also raises awareness within the community. Typically, the guns recovered at these events are destroyed, but Reverend Taylor did something different. We have turned all of those guns over to the Saluda County Sheriff's Department. They will be uh, breaking down the guns after they run the serial numbers through to make sure that none of those guns are stolen. And once they have disarmed the weapons, what we will do is we will take um, the scraps of metal to a blacksmith, hopefully locally here in South Carolina. I'm in talks with a friend of mine uh, whose husband is a blacksmith. Uh, and if he can't do it, then I hope to be able to connect to another artist. And what we will do is we will repurpose these uh, guns into gardening tools and hopefully be able to do some community projects locally here in Saluda with those gardening tools. The concept of repurposing guns into garden tools started with Shane Claiborne and Michael Martin, which was mentioned earlier in this episode. But what is the reason behind garden tools? The guns into gardening tools is a deeply, uh, is an action that is deeply based in scripture. I hadn't uh, mentioned that before, but the inspiration for the guns into gardening tools comes from a verse in the Hebrew scriptures, what Christians call the Old Testament. It is the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet in, uh, you know, ancient times and uh, ancient Israel's history. And so in addition to sort of calling out the evils of the world, what God has, you know, told Isaiah to call out. Isaiah is also there to cast a vision of hope, of what the world could look like. And what he does is he gives this version, that God shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. 
Those peoples shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. And so that is the basis for these gun buyback programs that turn these guns into gardening tools. It is taking things that you know may have been used for destruction, may not have good memories anymore because of the harm that they have caused, and it is literally repurposing them into a, a new life of creation, of you know, uh, tilling the earth, and of new opportunity. And when I asked Hillary what she will do with her own guns... Ah, that's a good question. So I, um, I did just become a gun owner um, this year. Uh, previously, I was borrowing some of my dad's guns to hunt. And the, per you know, buying guns for the first time was kind of a, it was an interesting experience. I spent more money than I, than I anticipated spending. Um, and I, I'm excited for this hunting season to use them for the first time. Um, but perhaps there may come a day when I no longer feel safe around them. And there may come a day when, you know, uh, I, I have nobody to, to give them to. And if that day comes, then that may be a day where I also, um, you know, decide that these guns need to be repurposed into gardening tools. My experience, you know, as a pastor, my experience as somebody who has experienced suicidal thoughts, my experience of somebody who, you know, encounters people who have been profoundly affected by the acts of suicide of a family member or friend. This is the way that I feel called to address gun violence. And I hope to be more involved in other, other conversations about gun violence as well. And yeah, I hope that churches and other faith groups can be places that also promote peace and justice and freedom and the alleviation of human suffering. I think that there's untapped potential for churches to do that kind of work. I look forward to helping churches and communities think about things like gun buybacks as a fresh expression of ministry and how we can convey the love of Jesus Christ through those actions and through that witness. That's it for this episode of She Plus. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at she underscore plus underscore pod. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.